Blog Talk Radio. background too. Yes, I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. It is live radio, and with live radio, it happens occasionally. He barks at nothing. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. Just give him a pat from all of us and a big hello. We have have lots of fun topics to talk about tonight. Uh, The Old West and modern frontier living. And this is a call-in show, so if you have a question or comment, we would really love to talk to you. The number is 516-387-1756. And we already have so, a caller, and we have another caller in the queue. Do we really? Well, yes. you know hello, what? Hello, I'm, caller. Who are you? Hey, this is Joe calling from Montana. How are you doing? Well, hi, Joe. I'm Montanan. That's great. How are you doing today? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm doing okay. It has been warming up a little bit today. It seems so balmy out there. I was out there with my uh, Bermuda shorts and and my Hawaiian shirt. But it is like uh, 16 degrees right now. (laughs) But we have just, it's just been so cold in February and March. Uh, We actually set a record for March 4th and March 5th. Uh, We hit minus 29 on March 4th, which beat the record in 1955. And you know, uh, yesterday, March 5th, yeah, it was probably a lot colder up up on your mountain, and uh, minus 27 uh, yesterday, which beat the record in 1945. Well, you know, uh, in Elk Park, Montana, I think they did uh, set the statewide record for March. It was actually negative 46, and that's not wind chill. That was the actual temperature. So it is really, it was really brutal. Um, and the March winds are on the way. We still have some plowing to do. In fact, it snowed again today, and we're continuing to plow ourselves out from this Arctic front that came down the last couple of weeks. We we had a couple of feet of snow. It was it was a lot, a lot to deal with. It's been so cold, Nancy. It's been so cold. How cold has it been? How Politicians cold has it been, Joe? Yeah, there you go. I I I I. I Fed it out to her, and, and she responded. The politicians have been sticking their hands in their own pockets for a change. <laughs> I love it. It's been so cold. How cold has it been? Yeah. How cold? I had to open up the refrigerator just to warm up. <laughs> yeah, that I kind of understand. Um, you know, I had two rescue missions this week. And Bill was plowing, and he got stuck, so I had to get the the truck out. We had to get everything chained up, and I had to pull him out and then wait a couple of hours to follow him as he plowed back up the mountain so that we could get home. And I made a post about it on social media, and it it really was kind of funny because I made it. I said, oh, well, I, I always knew you were a hero. And I said, yeah, I really need some kind of a superhero name, and I want a costume with a cape. <laughs> so all of a sudden, all these, these posts started coming in, and people started writing me, and they started giving me superhero names. And one was Snow Queen or Super Nancy or Mountain Woman. And uh, Kevin over in the U.K. sent me a a photograph of Wonder Woman in her costume and said, here, this is the costume for you. Wonder Nancy. So there I, thought, you go. I, 
Yeah, but I said, and well... You know, Captain Marvel is out now, so you could be uh, Captain Nancy. Well, I could be. I could be, but I sure can't wear that costume because I would freeze in that. I need something more like <laughs> the Michelin tire woman would wear, you know, with a big parka and, and something that would kind of kind of keep me warm. So it, uh, I'm glad that you completely understand what I'm saying when I, when I talk about the weather here. So see, Joe well, gets the, it. The He's, rest of the country has had, uh, you know, really cold and bitter uh, weather in you know December and January very unusual and it was actually mild here in Montana, uh, but February was just it just went below zero and pretty much stayed there. Uh, you know it was it was very very cold, uh, at least forty to fifty degrees below the normal. And uh, I, I actually heard I don't know if this is true, but you know that they had snow in Seattle, right? I did hear about it. I, you know I don't know if Mother Nature and Old man winter are taking turns with us, or what's going on? But the weather's been really harsh everywhere. Well, and they don't have a lot of snow removal there. And an enterprising Montanan went up there, and I heard a rumor that he made seventy-five thousand dollars in four days. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what people were saying. So he just, you know, as soon as he heard about it, drove up there and you know, good old uh, Yankee ingenuity, and said, "Okay, here I am with my plow." Wow. Well, I don't, I don't know. I would have to look up that, you know, to see if it was true or not. But I did hear something else that um, was kind of related to that that was sort of funny about Montana and how, how people see Montana. And I don't know if you all heard about this, but apparently there was a peti- petition to sell Montana to Canada. Did, did you hear about this? <laughs> I and, heard about it. I was really pleased. Oh, oh, so you did hear about it. Well, they, they wanted the money to be used to apply to the national debt. It had about 11,000 signatures, which, which was really shocking in itself. But what surprised me was the comments. The comments were completely hysterical. One man wrote under there, we don't need Montana because all they do is shoot beavers up there. <laughs> well, somebody and with wrote, that, you know, I, I think the oh, go ahead. I was going to say, with that, let's bring on our our other caller. Goodness gracious, the board is lighting up like crazy. Hold on a second, uh, caller two five six seven zero six nine five eight two. Who are you, and welcome to the show. Uh, my name is uh, Randall Crane. Uh, glad to be on. Just listening to y'all. Well, well we are hello, glad Randall. you're here. We are, are glad you? you're here, and it's wonderful for you to call in again. Thank you. Yeah. Y'all was talking about how cold it was. It's been kind of cool down here where I'm at today, too. So tell it's me where been... you are. Was it Al- was it Alabama? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah A little town right. called Leesburg, Alabama. It was about 23 degrees this morning. Kind of unusual for March. Well, that is sort of cold for you, considering it's it's the south. Yeah. Yeah, it's huh. real cold right now because it's like, like the guy you was talking to. It's 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 been kind of rough this year for some reason. <laughs> well, you know, I think it has been for most people in the country. I, although Yvonne, I don't know, are you getting anything that is cold? I've had my heat on for the past two days, and, and I'm how in cold paradise. It's you to turn your heat on. Uh, it has for me. It has to get to seventy. For most people, it has to get down to fifty. Okay. But it only okay. got up to sixty today. So you really are having a cold snap in South Florida. Yeah, then. and and when you put wind factor in there on top of, because I'm only like ten minutes from the ocean, and I'm five minutes from the intercoastal. So you, when you put the wind factor in there combined with the water, it's about thirty degrees colder than it should be. <laughs> oh God. Okay, so you're yeah you have you have quite a bit to deal with. Um, yeah, my body doesn't like another the caller? weather. Yes, caller two five three six five two eight six three zero. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you doing, Nancy? Um, um, I have a question with you. I like your books and the, your writing and your drawings and all your artwork and whatnot, and your even your bookmarks that you make and stuff. But I was curious on how often do you plow your driveway? or your road up the mountain, do you plow it like two or three times in 24 hours when it's snowing, or do you only plow it like once every 24 hours? I know you got stuck, and I know it's coming up in your next book. (laughs) Yes, it is. 
could, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name, though. Can you tell me who, it is, who I'm talking to? James Fry. James, okay. Hello, James, and welcome in. Thanks for calling. I'm from Tacoma, Washington, and we got a half an inch of snow here today. Oh, yeah, we were just talking with Joe a minute ago about how it was snowing in, in Washington State. Well, you know, James, it just depends on how often uh, we plow. It depends on how much snow we get. And what? when we get one of these storms like we were talking about, sometimes uh, Bill is out plowing for four and five hours at a time, and he'll spend the entire afternoon out there just trying to keep the mountain road clear. When we just have snows come and go, sometimes he'll only go out a couple of times a day. So it really does depend on how heavy the snowfall is. But trying to clear the mountain road is, is really grueling because it twists and it turns, and we actually have areas that drop off. And so it's very dangerous, too. But we have to keep it open just so that we can get down, you know, get down the mountain. One year it was so bad our tractor just couldn't handle the volume of snow, and we ended up having to call a neighbor, and they have commercial equipment because he was a builder and, uh, you know, moved uh, dirt work and things like that, and he had to bring his construction equipment up here and dig us out. Boy, that cost a pretty penny. <laughs> Approximately how long is your driveway or your road? We have about a mile or so to get to the main road, and... Down okay, and I have so another down. question for you. Um, sure. I I know uh, here in Washington when people get snowed in and whatnot, they call it like beaver fever or cabin fever because I uh, they get to stay in the house a lot. I know you do a lot of cooking with your cooking shows and, and YouTube videos and whatnot, and you do a lot of writing on your book and your artwork, so I know you stay busy, but do you ever get cabin fever or what they call beaver fever where you're kind of stuck indoors for a little too long? I do, and, and you're right. I, I do all of the things that you mentioned to try to keep me busy, and I focus very much on my work. Of course, there's always other work to do, too. You know, the house has to be cleaned, and, and the cooking has to be done, and, of course, we look after the horses. But... Uh, yeah, I, I do get kind of edgy, and I feel a little claustrophobic at times because I like to spend time outside, and I really miss spending time with the horses. And I think they miss me because when I look out from my window and look down to where they are in the corrals, I see their heads hung over the corral panels, and they start whining and whinnying, and calling and making all kinds of sounds and we go down there and i try to explain to them look guys we're not built for below zero weather and so i can't spend the time with you that i normally do because in the summer i spend a lot of time with the horses and we we brush them we ride we walk them we train them we and they just follow us around in the yard and they sit there and watch and try to help me garden but uh they get a lot of time and attention. And so when they don't get that, they feel kind of bad and complain. And they say, well, come out and spend time with us. And I say, I can't. It's too cold. And they said, oh, it's not that cold. I have a winter coat. And I tell them, well, my winter coat isn't as heavy as your winter coat. <laughs> so right. we end up having quite a bit of discussion over the fact that we're not out there. So I really do miss them, and I miss being outside. And I think that's the hardest part of winter for me is not being with them. Well, it's, they're part of the family, and I was curious on, like you mentioned that, because you've got to take care of your animals and whatnot, even if it's cold, but, but they are all part of your family, and during the summertime, they come up and watch you when you're cooking and all the different smells that you're putting out of your house. They're looking through the window going, well, do I get a snack, too, you know? So, yeah, I got a dog, and I know how you mean by the, by the horses, and, and Penny and everybody is part of your family that if you're not spending the time with them, and they're really sad, and you need to teach your horses how to pull weeds for you. You know, use them lippies and pull them weeds. <laughs> well, they do, and the only problem is they can't tell what's a weed and what's a flower, and so sometimes they get a little excited about helping me weed, and they end up pulling out my flowers, too. Um, and I've had to talk to them about that, but, uh, yeah, the deer. The deer want to help me garden, and they end up yeah. eating my flowers, and they like the roses, and... 
when the roses are gone, they peek in the windows because they want to know if I'm planting more roses. <laughs> a little more training with the horses, okay? Get them to learn what yeah. the difference is between a weed and, and a flower. But, yeah, you got the right idea. I'll, yeah, thanks, James. I'll definitely do that. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take your tip, and I'll, I'll start giving them horticulture lessons and trying there to see if go. they can you identify different flowers. You just got to show them what the weeds are and show yeah. them what the flowers are and give them a taste of them and say, these, these are the flowers. You can't eat those. <laughs> I'm going to stay on the line and listen to you and whatnot, so I'll be here. But go ahead and okay. you, uh, take your next color and enjoy. God bless. Nice That's great. Thanks, James. I appreciate it so much. Um, Yvonne, is anybody else there on the line? Um, the gentleman from Alabama is still on the line. Your caller from Wyoming, uh, Montana, he dropped off. Hopefully he'll call back in because I still wanted to know how deep he was in snow. But okay, all we got well, maybe is... Yeah, maybe, maybe if he's still listening, in. Joe, maybe you could call back if you're still listening, 516-387-1756. Yeah, we didn't mean to leave you behind. We're just trying to get everybody into the conversation. There you um, go. Yeah. So we're, we're pretty caught up with callers right now. Okay, great. Nancy, how's your new book coming along? You know, the new book is coming along really well. I'm actually in Chapter 7. So it's, I've got a ways to go, but I've I've been working on it, and I'm really hoping to have it uh, finished as soon as I can. Um, I also wanted to mention I did have some people that were kind enough to write me, so I wanted to answer a couple of their questions before we proceed on. And one of the questions was from Deb in Missouri, and she asked me to talk about why I don't like cows. Well, you know, Deb, it's not that I don't like cows. It's just that I don't want to own cows. And, yes, I've sort of had my differences with cows because the ranchers all around me, a lot of times their cows get through the fence and they come into the yard. And I have all kinds of stories that I write about the cows, you know, with my books and how they get into trouble and, and everything that happens with them. But truthfully, the reason I really don't want to have cows is because, you know, ranchers, they raise them for meat. And I'm afraid that they would become my pets and I would end up naming them because you know that will happen. Uh-huh. And, and pretty soon I've got, you know, Matilda in the yard and, and I've got, you know, Janine in the yard. And, and now I have these cows and I'm not going to be able to sell them because they're going to end up being my pets. And cows are a lot harder to clean up after than horses. And I also don't have enough pasture grass, you know, for cows because they eat a lot, and I need it for my horses. So it's not really that I don't like them, but I just I don't ever see me having cows, despite the fact that everyone's always trying to convince me to get them. So, I've had pigs before, and they're very hard. They're, they're very yeah. hard because you get attached like they're talking about, and then when you got to go and take care and slaughter them for food or to sell, it becomes really difficult and you cry about it. But you got to think, well, there's money in it, or there's, there's my food for the next six months or whatever for dinner, and then you're, and you're eating it. Sometimes you're like, well, yeah, like you said, this is Matilda or whatever, and you're like, okay. It's kind of hard, but you got to look at it how good it is, too. But I understand well, where you're coming from because death is a big, true. a big thing in life. That's true. And I, I have no problem, you know, I have no problem pe- with people eating meat or raising cows, and I, and I know that. It's just that I, I, can't, I can't be the one to personally do it. When I was a girl, I uh, had some summers on my uncle's uh, farm in minnesota and of course they raise all kinds of animals there and, and in the beginning you like i said I, I would name them and they were all my friends and then all of a sudden i realized that one of my friends was on the table and i couldn't eat for a week and it, it took me a while to kind of get over that but um i think it's just more of the emotional aspect of it is is why i'm not going to have the cows because like you said if they're here they're going to be a pet and I'm not going to be able to, you know, to part with them. Um, oh, I also had 
a couple of emails come in regarding my question last month that you might be in Montana if. And Gene wrote me. He called in, I think, on the first program we had. And he's from Florida, and he wrote, you might be in Montana if you're wearing a parka and shorts outside in the winter. And if you get sunburned and frostbit in the same week. Now, I, that sounds really funny, but I can tell you that that is absolutely true because I was at the store the other day, even in below zero temperatures, and I saw a gal with her coat draped over her arm, and she was walking in flip-flop sandals in the snow. Oh, my word. So uh, we have you... Our callers don't know how tough these Montanans are. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, we're so glad you called back in to continue the sharing the hour with us. Oh, I'm back. Yes. Yes, you are. Okay, we now have everybody. We have um, (laughs) the gentleman from Alabama. We have the gentleman from Tacoma. I used I lived there for six months, by the way. Loved it. We have the gentleman from Montana. We have our host, Nancy Quinn. We have me, who is watching the board. So we are we're going now, ladies and gentlemen. So continue, Miss Nancy. Oh, great. Well, thanks for calling back in, Joe. Um, My pleasure. I also oh good. I also had uh, Dave from Maine. And he wrote me with something kind of interesting regarding the idea that you might be a Montanan if. And he, he wrote, if you are traveling on Highway 59 and see that Harry Landers has topped about one mile of his fence post with over 300 boots. And I thought, you know, what is that all about? Because I didn't even know this story. So I went and did a little research, and I found out that, sure enough, that's true, that someone did put their boots on top of their fence posts. So I wanted to figure out if there was a story behind that. And I found out that there actually is, that there's about four different reasons why somebody from Montana would put boots on top of their fence posts. And early um, early on, it was they were placed to put, uh, I'm sorry, to prevent rainwater from seeping on to the post, so they wanted to protect them so they wouldn't rot. And as the tradition continued, I found out that it was more of a memorial, that when a rancher um, had a favorite horse or a favorite ranch hand or a friend or someone that they lost, that they would place a boot on top of their fence post. Mm. And the last reason, which is kind of interesting, too, that back before the days of electricity or telephones, that ranchers would put the boots on the fence posts to let people know that they were home and that their workday was over and that they were open to having visitors come and see them. So isn't that kind of interesting? (laughs) Very. So what do they do, hobble away from the fence post with just one boot on? Well, I you know, mean, I wondered about that, too, really? Joe. I, I wondered about that, too. And I'm guessing, of course, that it's probably just older pairs that, that they <laughs> kept and saved for that reason. And apparently some of them are still up there today. And I've never seen one myself, but it would be kind of interesting to see. So, you know, you know what? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you had the gentleman from Alabama on, and uh, I, I've spent some time there before. Uh, we were horrified to hear about the uh, the tornadoes that had happened there. Have you gotten any information on that? Well, I personally, all I know is what I was what I was reading. Randall, do you have anything else to fill in about the tornadoes? I think uh, they was like 24 killed. They had a thing on Facebook the other day, it went from like six years old to 86 years old. Uh, it's uh, I know y'all have heard of the Auburn football team right down there. It's actually Lee County's where it hit at. I'm in a little county called Cherokee County. How I'm far about, is that from you? It's about 
two and a half hours, I guess. Okay. Okay. Well, it was a terrible thing that happened. Very terrible. And yes. it's going to affect a lot of people for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So, it was a, very tragic. Yeah, we can Somebody certainly send has, condolences to everybody for that. It's It, it yes. was a terrible, terrible event. They, well, you somebody know. showed a picture on Facebook where it mm-hmm. went through there, and there was a lot of trees around this house. Every tree was down, and the house was not hurt. Wow. You know, it that can weird. happen. Yeah. yeah. It, it it can hit something, and, and the building next to it is completely untouched. When I lived in Washington, D.C., we had a tornado come through, and, in fact, uh, one of the uh, – oh, I don't know if it was a, a colonel. I'm trying to remember, but someone that Bill worked with, my husband, was he was working there at the Pentagon – his house was hit by the tornado and completely destroyed, and yet the house next to it was untouched. And I was following it on the television. They were actually tracking it live and telling people where it was heading next. And I know it was heading towards where I was, and it was just um, a, a couple of miles down the street from me. So I took the girls and went into the basement and just waited. And gratefully it turned. And nobody in my area was hurt, but it was pretty close, and and it was on the way, and they're Ooh. they're devastating, and they can turn on a dime. You never know where yeah. they're suddenly going to to turn or move. So that's been my only experience with it, but luckily it it wasn't as bad as uh, <laughs> as other people. In in 2001, there was one hit below where I live here. It's coach being there's a lot of cotton fields down in there and there was a little Mm -hmm. trailer park with four trailers in it and we just rode down there looking at the damage you know and the cotton fields kind of looked pink from the insulation from those mobile homes there was three four four trailers sitting there they was kind of in a line the third one was untouched the others Mm. were just they wasn't there no more all it was there was a frame there and that one just said, not like nothing ever happened to it. Yeah, and I can't really explain it. You just you just never know what, what Mother Nature's going to dish out. <laughs> well, I thought we would take a moment and sort of switch the topic, if you all don't mind, and I thought we would begin our conversation about frontier medicine. That was the topic that I had kind of chosen for tonight, and I think you're going to appreciate it because I've got some really interesting stories to tell you about it. Um <laughs> You know, some of these early pioneer medical practices will just completely make you cringe. And uh, there's lots of interesting home remedies and, uh, you know, that were basically considered modern medicine at the time because the doctors were exclusively male. The women were midwives and they delivered babies and they, you know, they helped the sick on and off, but they weren't really considered to have the abilities to become doctors. But by the mid-1800s, women were beginning to, it was a very difficult struggle, but they were beginning to be accepted into medical school. But the male doctors believed that women were completely unfit for such duties. They thought it was unseemly for ladies to be in the profession. They thought it affected their modesty and even Harvard University drafted resolutions to keep women out of the medical school. So I found this quote from 1873 from that revolution. Now listen to this. This is what they believed. Higher education for women produces monstrous brains and puny bodies, abnormally weak digestion, flowing thought, and constipated bowel. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) so so they were really really against women being doctors and this is the kind of thing that they believed you know about women and in uh in fact in 1875 there was a dr regensberger who addressed the california state medical society regarding women as doctors or even dentists they didn't want them to be dentists. 
And so in his, in his uh, speech, he said, if we ignore them and downplay their efforts, they will be forced to abandon the idea of being a part of medicine. Wow. Well, you, you know what's really sad about that is that in a lot of the rural areas, doctors were in short supply as well as dentists. And uh, when you keep half the population away from the ability to become doctors and dentists, you just exacerbate that problem, right? And it's a shame, really. And you're right. In fact, that is one of the reasons that a lot of the women basically were driven west because there weren't doctors here. And for a long time, even men who were, who were seriously injured were very upset and refused to be treated by women doctors. But when they became desperate enough, uh, a lot of the miners would say, well, all right, you know, I, I might as well let her try to treat me. I might die anyway. I mean, that's how dire it had to be. And they found that they were getting very good at practicing that kind of medicine. In fact, they were even getting really good at amputating limbs and, and healing the sick and binding wounds and broken bones and such. And so they found that they didn't care if a woman did or a man did it. They were just happy to have the help. But it's kind of sad, you know, that it was so desperate that they had to come to such desperate measures. But the women continued to come out to the West. And, you know, they, that's, at first they didn't have a lot of patients because even, uh, like, the trappers and the immigrants, they'd all rather suffer and die, and, you know, instead of seeking help from a woman. But it began to change, and their reputations for their medical care, people began to respect them, and it, but it took a long time. In fact, even in the cities, another thing that was driving the women out of the cities, and I read about this, that some women doctors were actually assaulted in the streets by other male counterparts, by other male doctors, and they just decided they couldn't, you know, they couldn't handle that kind of abuse, and so they began to head west where their services could be used. And they didn't make a lot of money either. They, they were often paid in, in chickens, and they were paid in eggs and cattle and wood for their stove and butter, fresh fruit, things like that. So it wasn't a real lucrative living, and they were barely surviving, but they were doing what they believed was right, and they were helping people, and, and that's that's where it all came from, I think, as women, is that need to help and that need to heal. And so they pushed to be allowed into the medical schools, and, and of course, it all started from there. And now with modern medicine, nobody gives it a second thought, really, if your doctor is a man or a woman. But it really was an interesting start. Well, so, it's like everything else that women have done. They had to almost just push their way through worked twice as hard to prove they were half as good. Well, you're right. And, and of course, the standards were completely different, of course. For example, one of the women I was reading about who, uh, she was 15 years old, Georgia Arbuckle, and she finished her high school. She also had a teaching certificate to teach school, and she applied for medical school. But, you know, my daughter, who is 15 now, wants to be a nurse, but she's not going to be able to apply to medical school until she's 18. And, and again, of course, standards of education is, is the reason. But can you imagine being 15 and going to medical school and becoming a doctor at such a young age? It happened. Wow. Well, the education requirements were different back then, too. I was reading, uh, well, actually, I saw a story about a uh, fellow who was a dentist in, uh, here in Montana uh, mm -hmm. in a small town, but he was never trained to be a dentist. He became a dentist out of necessity. He did something uh, related to that. I think he had done construction or something. He was used to using tools so he could pull those teeth, right? And he learned the trade on his own over the years, and was very respected by his community uh, until the uh, Association of Dentists, you started getting more dentists in the area, uh, petitioned the state, and they battled it out to uh, stop him from practicing dentistry. But the locals well, you know, uh, preferred him. I really believe that because if you remember, there was a time when the local barber 
was also your doctor. In fact, right. you remember when you've seen the photographs where they have that red and white um, uh, sign out front, you know, with the, the red and white stripes? And mm-hmm. that was a sign that meant you not only cut your hair, but you were also a doctor, and they often performed, you know, fairly minor surgical procedures and things, but your wow. barber was Wow. Uh, yeah. That'd be cool if they so, did it now. You get a haircut and they can check your blood pressure at the same time. I'd love it. You could. Can you imagine sitting there getting getting your hair cut and getting a physical and <laughs> Yeah, they're doing they're giving you a little shot that you need or something. But you know, I mean it really does bring up a point, you know, when 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 you're in rural areas, not just here in Montana, but throughout rural America, where, where things were needed, people are do it yourselfers and eventually they, you know, uh, acquire skills that now you typically think of in terms of being highly formally educated, and the opportunities but, you know to help the community are there for them. And you're right about that too, because if you think about the type of personality and the kind of person who moves west, they're very rugged individualists, and they still are. They they're very independent, and when you come out here, you have to be independent or you're not going to survive especially in a very rural kind of situation and so you have to be able to learn things quickly and you have to adapt and learn all different kinds of skills so it's not like living in a town where things are 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 done for you and you can have a lot of help and you have a lot of people to rely on and it's not that way so even in the old west when people were first moving out here they had to have a very positive, can-do type of attitude. And, and it's still there today. Of course, Joe, you're in Montana, so you know what I'm saying, that, that people are still very um, uh, self-reliant. And, yeah. and self-reliant. You know, they, they absolutely are. That's very true. Well, I mean, you look at the state of Montana on the map. It's a good-sized state. We only have a million people in the entire state. We have one congressional district, in other words, one congressperson that represents the state because that's chosen by population. And so there are a lot of rural areas where you could drive for long periods of time and not see anyone. And when you do, that person's likely to wave at you, which is something I just love. Friendliness is one of the greatest things in the world, and, and we have it here. And I'm sure that in you know, other rural areas you, you can see that too. I, I would agree. That's true. Um, in fact, I've noticed that as far as adapting, even the wildlife is, is different. The wildlife is different here on the mountain in our rural area, and it's different in the city, in town. I was in town the other day, and I was by the state capitol. And you go down a main thoroughfare, but off towards the right-hand side is a more residential area. And I'm at a stop sign, and I'm looking and I see these deer. Now, we often see deer in the town. That's, everybody knows that. But they were walking down the sidewalk in a line a few feet apart. And the first one came to the intersection, and he stopped, and he looked both ways, and he trotted across the road. And the second one wow. came up, he stopped and looked both ways and trotted. <laughs> so I watched this line of deer actually looking for traffic before they would cross the highway. And I thought, you know, that you know it has to be a learned response because they don't act that way out here. And they often run right in front of me. In fact, if I'm going down the road, I've, there have been several times when I've almost been hit by an elk or a deer because it, it just ran right in front of me. And, you know, <laughs> that's, that's my idea of a traffic jam. It's, it's four legs instead of four wheels because you never know what's going to be out here. So look at the difference of, of how they behave even. They learned how to know how to cross the street. In the city, they must have had their brother or sister get run over, so they learned to look both ways and watch out for those big vehicles because their, their brother or sister got ran down and they seen what happened. It is certainly that's possible, right. yes. Yeah, that they yeah. learned after by several what they generations, saw. After several generations, that gets, you know, that behavior gets bred in there and, you know, pretty soon they're ringing your doorbell and trying to sell you things. You know, yeah. know. But uh, Helena has a large No, they population. want to eat your roses. Yeah, there you go. 
<laughs> really big population of deer uh, for the city. You can go by the state capitol and you'll see deer running around and, and in the neighborhoods, et cetera. And uh, once a year, the uh, police have to thin, thin the population. And so uh, they go out and shoot them and, uh, and uh, keep the meat for uh, the people who uh, can't afford uh, to, uh, you know, the, can't afford to buy their own. And so, so they give it to uh, charities. Yeah. Yeah, they don't waste waste the meat. We don't waste meat here for hunters. It's uh, illegal, and it's something that people really look down on. Uh, but you know, uh, you, you get a large population of prey when you wipe out the predators, and so you can see that. I mean, we've had uh, mountain lions in the city of Helena, as well as uh, bear. I mean, there was a bear behind like a one of the big box stores that they caught. <laughs> you know. And yeah. they have uh, spe- special places where they can bring them and uh, reacclimate them and, and then get them back out into the wild, but, uh, you know, so that they're not, uh, they're not, they don't get too comfortable around people. That's true. Even the ones that are out here, I try really hard not to, um, I don't feed them. I know everyone asks me, why don't I feed them? And I tell them for several reasons. I don't want them getting too used to people because, everybody around me hunts i i want them to keep a fear you know of of man in general and i can't let them rely too much on me feeding them and not only that if i feed them that means i bring in predators i bring in the cougars i bring in the grizzly bears i bring in the wolves and i can't have that here on my property because you know we live here we have dogs and daughters and and horses and so um, it's interesting that I think some of them know that they're safe with me because when I'm outside or even in the summer when I'm working in the garden, I mentioned it earlier, so the deer will come right in and, and they'll just sit there and eat and watch and we'll talk and we'll have a conversation. <laughs> and, but uh, they're not afraid of me. And, but I don't want to continue to encourage them to come in because we have enough trouble with the, with the predators as is. And we also have to protect the hay storage. Uh, in fact, about a week ago, I had an elk come in, and he came into the yard, and I was watching, and all of a sudden he jumped right over the panels of the, the horse corral panels. He pushed the horses off of the hay and then jumped over the other fence and got into the hay storage and just started eating everything in sight. And the horses are looking up at the house, and they're saying, hey, there's this elk in here, and he bullied us off our food and told us we couldn't have any, and he's in there eating. So we had to go down and frighten him away because I don't have enough hay to feed everybody. And we're already, with this horrible winter we're having, we're getting a little low on some of the hay, so we're having to buy the store-bought concentrates and the um, horse feed and things, and we're supplementing their food. So I felt bad because he was obviously desperate and hungry enough to jump over and get in there. But, again, I can't start feeding him uh, because he also will bring in the bears and the wolves and everybody because they follow where the game goes. And it's just an interesting cycle of, cycle of life around here. But how, how do your horses <laughs> react to, all, to different wildlife that come around? Like, have they ever seen bears or some Oh, yeah, other... they're... They're my first indicator, truthfully. I watch them a lot. If I see them suddenly become agitated or if they get really still and all stare in one direction or if they begin to dance or run around in a circle or something, I know something's up. And they usually will huddle together and try to get as far away from what's coming at them. So we've had uh, a bull moose come through. And that was kind of frightening because I thought he might get into a, you know, a dust-up with the horses. But he just looked at them and ignored them and marched right on past. We've hmm. had a grizzly bear that came in. That one was really frightening. But Ooh. he, the, the bear was much more interested in digging out this anthill because they like to eat the ants. And so he was yeah. so focused on the anthill that he really wasn't bothering the horses. And that was... That was a scary situation. Um, we, we have just about everything coming through, and so I'm always keeping an eye on them because I don't want them to get hurt. But that's usually 
now that I don't have a big dog, that's usually how I know that something is in the yard is by, by looking at the horses and watching them. So it's, it's never dull. It's never a dull moment here. Um, before we get too far off the path, because I know we're starting to run out of time already, um, I just wanted to share with you a couple of other things that I found, and then we can, we can go back to some more of our conversation. But I wanted to share with you some of these early remedies because I thought you would get a hoot out of them. These are things that the doctors had to dispel when they did come out here and they did come west. And people thought that they could cure these diseases or cure these, these ailments by doing some of these following things. Painting in the sand. <laughs> they they wow. actually threw paintings in the sand, and they thought that that would help. And that actually came from the Navajo Indians. Uh, the Navajo medicine woman, that was one of the first things that she would do to try to to uh, heal you, was to do a sand. Wouldn't that be like something to calm your nerves, though, or to calm you down to keep you from being stressed out about something or let you think about what your problems is? You know, that very well could have been why they do it. I, I didn't study up enough to know why they did it, but that was one of their first remedies that they would go to. Um and it wasn't used so much in, in the Western medicine as it was more in the Indian medicines because, well, the Navajos also believed that you, you should never kill a spider because they believed that they learned how to weave and spin threads by watching the spiders and that the spiders caught the insects that bothered people. So they were very careful with their spiders and used them as a part of their healing techniques as well. And I would buy so, that. When the woman doctors came out west, they, they were seeing these kinds of things now. It's not to say that they didn't learn some things from some of the Indian tribes because they, they did have a skill with herbs and plants, and they did incorporate that some into Western medicine. But some of the things they were using, you know, was just was rather outrageous. Um, they would, for example, if you had shingles, then... They would heat the blood of chickens and and rub it on the on the wounds, and they would expect them to go away that way. Um, for example, oh, how had, interesting! Yeah, if you, know, you had shingles hives, are related to chicken pox, right? <laughs> if you had hives, they made a tea from the scrapings of a stallion's hooves, and they wanted you to drink it. Now, I love yeah. tea, but oh. not from Wilson's hooves. So. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think don't think I would Think about what they're walking around on, and it wouldn't be too appealing. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, there, there's a few more in here. I've got some more. Let me take a look at my list. But the one that was the hardest for me to think about, listen to this. They believe that you could uh, preserve your teeth and eliminate odors in your mouth by rinsing with your own urine. Now, is this the first, is this the first <clears throat> mouthwash? Oh, thank you. Wow. <laughs> no, thanks. Can you imagine what the uh, women dentists had to deal with when they <clears throat> when that came about? You, you know, there are people who still are proponents of that. And uh, I, I never bought into it, but, you know, the urine has acetic acid, and mm -hmm. uh, they were claiming that it is pure. It's pure. I mean, it, it's not. Uh, it doesn't have uh, uh, bacteria and different things in it. So they were claiming that that's good for you. I would have to go a long way before I would care to put it to the test. But well, I'm you know, just really grateful. You, you never for know. Maybe dream. there's some. Maybe there's some truth to it. I mean, it would it work for somebody. Who knows? I don't know. Um, for, well, I'm brushing your teeth one, with they, it, though. That just doesn't sound like a good idea. You call in next next month and tell us how you liked it. <laughs> <laughs> no, not about to try it. Thank you. Yeah, I don't want to try this one out either. Um, you could rub chicken feet on warts to remove them. That's what they believed. And if you had a bleeding wound they would rub um, ashes, you know, from your wood-burning your wood burning stove or fire. They would rub ashes into a bleeding wound. Um, they that also, probably worked. They, I don't know. 
They also put mold scraped from cheese on open wounds. Now, I don't know if they were thinking, you know, the first kind of penicillin or, or what, but that's, yeah, I, I don't think I want to do that either. Um, well, now if you're had, on, on different things like that, um, back in World War One and World War Two, there's a natural herb that grows out here all over the world that they actually boiled down and made um, a really good painkiller out of it. That's that's just a regular plant grown that people think of like a dandelion, and they actually boil it down and they use it used it in World War One and World War Two to actually kill people's pain when they were shot and whatnot, and they had no more penicillin and no more morphine or anything to try and kill the people's pain. It's oh, on, really? It's online if you look it up. Yeah, if you look it up on, I could actually tell you, but it's not, I'm not supposed to really broadcast it over the news, I don't think, because somebody would be doing it and using it. But yeah, well, yeah but that's still a very, yeah, that's still a very <laughs> interesting point, and it goes back again to using, you know, natural plants. And, I mean, there's definitely yeah. some you merit. You can look it up online and find out the actual name of it and everything yourself, and if you go and buy one of those pepper books or whatever, um, it's called The Lost Ways by Peppers. It's in that book, okay. and, and you can find it online anywhere you want. You can just actually try and find it. But it's out there for anybody to use. And they say that um, it, it, it seeds just like dandelions do, and it's legal. So you can seed your backyard with it, and then you can make some up and put it in your medicine chest, and they say for the people like The Lost Ways or The, the Peppers mm-hmm. that they should have it in their fruit. They should have it in their medicine chest at all times, and then you just taking different into it eat just a little bit of it and it kills your pain and takes it away if it's a toothache or if you cut your arm or you cut your leg off or whatever. <laughs> well, you know, they used to treat cholera with brandy and red peppers. So there's another plant that they thought had, you know, had potential for, um, for healing illnesses. So, yeah, plants have a real history of um, a lot of modern medicine comes from derivatives of different kinds of plants. But the yeah, one thing they also believe in yeah, was that you could drop a bug in your ear to cure an earache. What do you think of that one? Uh, I don't think so. But would yeah. it be an earwig? Is that, is it, I've always wondered about earwigs, how they got, came up with that name. It's sort of a strange name for a bug, isn't it? I mean, maybe that's how they came up with it. I don't know, yeah, but that's interesting. That would be interesting to look up. Uh, but that's what they believe cured earaches was to drop a bug in your ear. Um, or, you know, of course, the doctors, the doctors didn't always have the right answers either because you remember, remember leeches and, right. and you know, bleeding people. They, they thought that that was the right way to, to cure an illness as well. Um, but for the dentist, I think the strangest one I found about that was, okay, get ready for this. You ready? You scratch your gums with an iron nail until it bleeds. Then oh, you drive on. the nail into a wood post, and that was supposed to cure your toothache. Wow. Drive it wow. into a wood post? Mm-hmm. I wonder. My dad told me years ago on, on stuff like your wart, your wart remedy was to go out and find stump water at midnight, rub stump water on your, on your warts at midnight, and the next day they would be gone, but you have to do it right at midnight. I tried it. It never worked, but it was, it it was fun to try. <laughs> no. Oh, well, now, see, James, you know, it didn't work because you didn't rub a chicken foot on your wart. You just rub a chicken there foot on go. it. And then it I, didn't know, I didn't know it was supposed to be a chicken foot, too. And then there's another <laughs> remedy that I was told years ago. If you get the cold or you get, you get sick, if you go get blackberry brandy and drink a few shots of blackberry brandy, it's supposed to make you feel better. I always laughed at that and said, yeah, you probably got partially drunk, and the next morning you felt better because you'd gotten drunk from that before. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the real reason behind it. Um, I also yeah. read that you could, um, they used to wrap people's legs in brown paper that was soaked with vinegar, and that was supposed to cure your aching muscles. Well, well, on that note, guys, y'all aren't going to believe this, but our hour's almost up. If you drink vinegar, when you have a charney horse, it'll go away. <laughs> like, like pickle juice or vinegar, you can actually get rid of your charley horse. Well, now you have um, us thinking about alternative medicine, Nancy. Thank you very much. It is. 
Yes, and thank so, you all but, for calling. Thanks for I did want you to you. Nancy, I, before yes. everybody hangs up, I, I saw yes. something that just came up that um, affects you're in my community, in the indie author community. Oh, okay. We lost, we lost an author in those tornadoes. Oh, We lost no. one of our oh, own. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Her name was Charlotte Miller. And she published oh. through um, New South Books out of Montgomery. She published Behold This Dreamer, Through a Glass Darkly, and There's a River. She was 59 years old, and she left a son. May well, she rest in peace. Yes, oh, we no. certainly all send our condolences. Is it an older son or a younger son? Didn't say, but she was once, she was an indie author, and we're a pretty tight-knit community, so when we lose one, it's like we've lost a lot because we, we well, all hurt. Sorry for that. Yeah, but we, like are, we are down to the four-minute mark. Do you want to tell folks where you can be found and when you'll be back? I absolutely do. Um, I do want to thank all of you for calling in really very much, Joe and Randall and and James and, and the people that wrote to me and had questions. So it really it really means a lot that you'll take the time away from your lives to come and chat and visit and, and write. And special thanks, of course, you, Yvonne, for giving me an hour on your program. Um, it's a real once-a-month treat for me, and I'm very grateful for it. Our next show is going to be on Wednesday, April the 3rd, and, of course, the same time, 9 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain. And we're going to be taking calls, and I thought we might talk about what we need to do to create a homestead. Might even talk about the very first libraries in the West. And so if you've enjoyed the conversations tonight, I hope that you look up my books and my videos and my artwork and subscribe to my YouTube channel. And, boy, I'm asking a lot of all of you guys, aren't I? Um, All the links and everything that you need can be found at Quinn wildlifeart.com and so with that I guess I will just say good night from the west thanks guys for calling in y'all have made her show just absolutely amazing the interaction has been great and tell your friends share the show and call in next time we yes, will be able to do that and we all share our sh- share the show with other friends and try and bring more people on too yes we love that was great, and you all have such great radio voices that you can send it to your friends and say, look how great I sound on the radio. Just listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the idea. You're welcome. Right. Good night, everyone. <laughs> Thank Good, you. Night. Good night. Good night from the South. Good night. Good night. Good night from the West. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>
Okay, so I will um, put it up tomorrow and send you all the links. All right. Well, how did you think it went? We had a lot going on. It was very, very successful because the board was lit up before we even went live. That really, really makes me feel good. So, so I'm yes, glad you're everybody getting out got there, a chance to talk. Yep, you're doing very mm-hmm. well. You're doing very oh. well. Thank you. Thank you. Very, very to, well. And I wanted to give everyone an opportunity and get, you know, answer their questions and try to have a little fun with some topics and so yeah, I'm I'm excited for for next month too. And next month you sh- next I can't talk next month you should have even more. Well, that's going to be very exciting. So thanks for helping me do all this. I appreciate it. You are welcome, my darling, and I will talk to you later. All right, I uh, will be around tomorrow, so I'll look for those posts to go up, and as soon as they do, I'll get them sent out, and then. Okay. Um, Later uh, later in the, oh, maybe over the weekend, I'll give you a call and we can chat about some of those things we talked about. Okay. Excuse okay. me. Sounds like a plan to me. Okay. Thank you and good night. All right, baby. Talk to you later. Okay, bye. Bye.